Hello, I'm Sarah Hapalak and this is In the News from the Irish Times, where we take a close look at the stories that matter. Today, what will happen in Afghanistan when the US withdraws its troops? Last year, former US President Donald Trump struck a deal with the Taliban that all American forces would leave Afghanistan by May 1st, 2021. We've had tremendous success in Afghanistan in the killing of terrorists, but it's time after all these years to go and to bring our people back home. In return, the Taliban was to break away from terrorist organizations such as Al-Qaeda and suspend all attacks on international forces and large Afghan cities. Although the Taliban went on to break this commitment numerous times, Trump continued the withdrawal of troops, leaving less than 3,500 soldiers in Afghanistan by the time that Joe Biden took office last January. That put President Biden in a very difficult decision. That's not a lot of troops to have remaining. He didn't have much leverage over the Taliban. The Taliban aren't going to negotiate because they have nothing to negotiate over with so few troops. So, you know, long and short is that President Trump left President Biden in a really tough decision, a really bad position. And President Biden had to make the best of that. Dr. Carter Malkation is an historian and former senior advisor to the American military. He also spent two years living in the Helmand province of Afghanistan. So I think that was a hard decision for him to have to make about deciding whether or not to keep U.S. forces there for some prolonged period of time um, or departing. And my understanding is that he felt U.S. interests in Afghanistan had now been attained. We delivered justice to bin Laden a decade ago. And we've stayed in Afghanistan for a decade since. Since then, our reasons for remaining in Afghanistan have become increasingly unclear. And keeping troops there for any longer didn't serve a great purpose. It wasn't going to help uh, reinforce U.S. security. And while it might have helped keep the Afghan government afloat, I think the United States had come to the point where it felt that we couldn't be in Afghanistan forever doing that. Uh, that the Afghans were going to have to manage this war on their own. And that, that's a very hard thing to say, um, but, but it is what it is. The U.S. withdrawal is set to be complete by September 11th, when America will mark the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks. But what does this departure mean for the people of Afghanistan and the future of their country? Carter, for our listeners who might not remember 20 years ago, why did the U.S. first invade Afghanistan? The United States first invaded Afghanistan because the terrorist group Al-Qaeda under Osama bin Laden launched the attacks of 11th September 2001. This, Justin, you are looking at obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. CNN Center. It was an attack on the United States. It was viewed as an existential threat, and it created the worry that terrorists could do all kinds of horrible things, would try to do horrible things to the United States. And that prompted President Bush, with the support of the vast majority of Americans, to intervene in Afghanistan, where al-Qaeda was located, and defeat and eliminate them. On my orders, the United States military has begun strikes. President Bush decided that we would also um, overturn the Taliban. These carefully targeted actions are designed to disrupt the use of Afghanistan as a terrorist base of operations. And that was really the beginning of our long war against the Taliban, and our war against al-Qaeda, which has gone better than our war against the Taliban has. 
Carter, who is in power in Afghanistan at the moment and how much does corruption play a part in how the country is currently governed? So the current um, leadership of Afghanistan is run by President Ashraf Ghani. President Ashraf Ghani was a high-level official in the World Bank. Uh, He has a PhD. Um, He speaks English well. He's a very intelligent person. And I don't have any information to suggest he is personally corrupt. Um, However, there is a good deal of corruption within the government and within other aspects of Afghanistan. And yes, that is a very large impediment. It means that troops on the ground sometimes don't have the uh, don't have the fuel and supplies and pay that they need. Sometimes don't have the manpower that they need because people are skimming off the top. And there's other ways that corruption affects things as well um, in terms of sometimes denying people who are more destitute or poorer in the villages in the province. That corruption sometimes denies them the goods and services that they need and that, do, that they deserve. Corruption is an important aspect of this, but some of the problems are deeper. Um, than that. I mean, so we, there's just a problem with how united is the government. You know, there's different ethnicities in Afghanistan. There's Pashtuns, there's Tajiks, there's Uzbeks, and there's further different political factions that exist. And it's really hard for the government to come together um, and to agree upon common policies and to be cohesive and to mobilize large numbers of people in the country to, uh, to, to work together. So these are, this is really a, f- a fundamental problem there. Another fundamental problem is that as much as it pains I me mean, to say it, our very presence hasn't always helped the legitimacy of the government. Um, it, it, an occupier in anyone's country is likely to get some people to stand up and fight. And I wanted to ask about your personal connection to this country because you spent two years living and working in Afghanistan as a U.S. government representative. What was your experience like on the ground there as a foreign national right at the centre of what was happening? The the thing that stuck out most was working with the Afghans constantly because we were seeing the Afghans daily. We were working with the police chief, working with the district governor, but also going out to the villages and working with tribal leaders and working with the religious leaders. Um, I We did a lot of work to try to help uh, women in the district, um, but in that situation in Afghanistan, if you're a man working in Afghanistan, you can't really have direct um, contact relationships with Afghan women in the provinces, even in an official manner. So that really fell upon um, our USAID representative and with some uh, Marine female engagement team. Um, it's hard to describe in, in the villages just how segregated um, the women are from, from daily life. And in a way, it's a little bit frightening. You go, you go down to the bazaar every day. Um, you walk to district center every day. You see the people of the province. And at first, it strikes you as odd that there aren't women walking in the bazaar. And the only place you see women is standing outside the clinic. But then over time, it horribly becomes like normal. And then when you see a woman, it strikes you as, wow, I, there, there was a woman there today. And then when that happens, that makes you realize just how jarring and segregated the society is. So, Carter, the peace talks between the Taliban and the U.S. began in 2019. A Quran recitation to start the event many Afghans have been waiting for for decades. What has been achieved since then? I mean, do you trust the Taliban to be true to their word, particularly when it comes to women's rights? In negotiations, it's probably best, um, you know, never really to trust the person that's opposite to you. Um, but I, so do I trust the, the Taliban? You know, I, I was part of the negotiating team for a while, not for the whole piece of it. But in 2019, I was, uh, I was a representative on it. And I did have greater hopes then. 
because the Taliban were talking about their willingness to come to the table. They were talking about their willingness to find a negotiated solution. They were talking about that they didn't want to have a monopoly. And, you know, I'm someone who would like to see the peace process work. Now, at that time, I also thought that we had a lot of leverage. I didn't think President Trump was going to was going to withdraw so quickly and make and, and reduce the amount of leverage that we had. You know, so the Taliban make the deal with us in February of 2020. Um, and that involves our withdrawal in return for them doing some things against Al Qaeda and, 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 and not not being a terrorist organization. And it contains them trying to reach a political settlement with the government. They didn't move very f far at all. We have not moved very far at all on that political settlement. And that's that's it's quite unfortunate. I don't think, given their military gains right now, that we're going to see a lot of movement. Will the Taliban keep their word for women? So we can see over the past few years the Taliban have treated women somewhat better, kept some more girls' schools opened. Um, they've been more willing to have interactions with women. Um, but at the same time, we do get reports that in, in the countryside that they're actually extremely um, restraining, extremely oppressive, maybe not quite as bad as the 1990s, but still fairly oppressive. Um, it gives the feeling that when they get in power, a lot of the things they're saying about women's rights are going to fall by the wayside pretty quick. Afghanistan has been ravaged by war since the late 1970s, when the country was invaded by the Soviet Union. Modern tanks and sophisticated technology were pitted against the poorly armed and politically divided tribes of Afghanistan warriors. Later, in 1992, Afghanistan's communist government was overthrown by guerrilla groups known as the Mujahideen and civil war broke out. Tens of thousands of civilians were killed in the conflict. In 1996, the Taliban seized control, resulting in even more repression. Women and girls were no longer allowed to go to school, to work, or even leave their home without a male chaperone. Huria Mozadik is a human rights activist and journalist from Afghanistan, and she now lives with her family in London. Huria, what was it like growing up in a country which has suffered from war and violence for effectively the last 40 years? Afghanistan that I was uh, born and, uh, you know, I, I remember from my early childhood, it was absolutely a lovely, peaceful country. You know, it was a country where my mom, my aunts, thousands of other women, they were walking on the streets with their mini skirts, with, with no head scarf. And we had like music festivals, we had like uh, parties, we had, uh, you know, so many events. Yeah, everything uh, started uh, changing after soon after the communist coup d'etat in Afghanistan that happened in uh, 1979. Unfortunately, my father, uh, he passed away and, and I'm saying, you know, if he would have been alive and, and seeing what is happening right now, he would have been so much heartbroken with, with the whole situation. Yeah, and it's really important to remember the world and the way of life that existed in Afghanistan before the Soviet invasion in the late 1970s. And I know you continue to live there for many years, but you did leave Afghanistan eventually. Can you tell me a bit about why you had to leave your home country? I left Afghanistan back in 2008 and I joined Amnesty International to work as their uh, Afghanistan researcher. And one of the main reasons uh, behind my uh, decision was 
that uh, not only that the you know security situation started to slowly deteriorate but also the level of uh, threats that i have been experiencing because of my work as a human rights defender and particularly working on issues around transitional justice and and addressing past human rights violations and uh, that came at quite a heavy costs uh, against uh, not just against myself but then you know the attacks and 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 threats uh, were targeted towards my family so i think that was the turning point that i thought uh, no i i can't take it anymore because you know i can i can sacrifice myself but uh, i i can't see my children paying the cost for what i believe what's it like going back there i mean is it dangerous for you when you go back to afghanistan and What's it like being a woman there now? Well, uh, definitely it is uh, dangerous. Uh, you know, like, um, I don't know, you know, whatever can happen to me, whether I can mm. get killed or, or I will be blew up uh, or something. But uh, till the death uh, gets me, I, I will make sure to do as much as I can. You know, uh, honestly, every time when I go to Afghanistan, I have, uh, I have no faith that I will return back and see my family again. But uh, at the same time, I, I, have, I have learned not to let the fear to hold me back from what I want to do. Can you talk to me a bit about the advances that have been made for women in the past 20 years? I mean, where has society come to during US military occupation? Do you think things are better for women now than they were in 2001? Definitely, yes, I would say, uh, because in the past 20 years, uh, Afghanistan made a massive, massive change and development, not only in terms of the women's right, not only in terms of the, you know, other fundamental uh, human rights of the people, but at the same time, access to education, access to health, and all other basic services has improved significantly. But if we just talk about women's right, like, I think the level of women's political participation and women's participation in social, economic and political aspects of the country, we even didn't have that level of participation even at the time when there was peace in Afghanistan. You can see like a woman are playing significant role in, in, in whether it is judiciary, whether it is security sector, whether there is education, health. It, it has flourished all over the place. And, and this is... Uh, I think one of the greatest outcome of the past 20 years and the uh, achievements that Afghan women made uh, so far. Huria, the Taliban is beginning to regain control in more and more parts of Afghanistan. What is life like for women in those areas? Hundreds of schools, the majority of them were girls, they were closed and, and girls were not allowed to go to schools. It started imposing the same restrictions that they used to do back in 1990s. And in those restrictions, they are really trying to uh, say like no woman is allowed to leave their home unless it is justified under Islam. And that means that they can only go to seek uh, medical assistance. And even if they want to go to seek medical assistance, they should be only accompanied by a man. And a few days back, uh, Taliban also started to warn the shopkeepers to not to sell any good to women. If anyone sells good to women, they will be severely punished. 
So I think Taliban are quite known for being a gender apartheid uh, group. Taliban are known that they are uh, somehow the sworn enemy of women and arts. And these two have been something that they were always scared of. Women and arts, they would do everything to to not allow that happening because they know that art and women are the messengers of the change. What do you fear will happen once all the US troops are gone? Biden's deadline for withdrawing them is September 11th, but news reports are now indicating that all troops may actually be gone in the next few days. What are your worst fears? I I wouldn't say that, you know, troops has to stay in Afghanistan. You know, I'm against military interventions. This will be a very difficult time for Afghanistan and Afghan women. Since March last year, tens of human rights defenders and media workers and women were targeted and killed in Afghanistan. We had the most shocking attacks that have never happened in, in, in Afghanistan before, like attack on maternity hospital, attack on the mosques, attack on, on, on places of worship, attack on, on schoolgirls, and, and attack in the hospitals and, and in so many other places that even they are protected under the international law. And in the past few weeks, Taliban are advancing significantly. And when, what we are really scared is that Taliban will take control and, and they would go back to the same situation where we were in the 1990s and they will turn Afghanistan into a living prison for everyone, but most particularly for women. So last year on his campaign trail, Joe Biden was asked whether he felt any responsibility for what will happen to women in Afghanistan when the U.S. troops are gone. He responded that he felt zero responsibility. Mm -hmm. The responsibility I have is to protect America's national self-interest and not put our women and men in harm's way to try to solve every single problem in the world by use of force. How does that make you feel hearing him speak that way? I'm sad and disappointed because back in 2001, you know, they symbolized women to intervene in Afghanistan. This used uh, that uh, the image of the woman being shot in Kabul Stadium by the Taliban to gain the support from their public. Good morning. I'm Laura Bush, and I'm delivering this week's radio address to kick off a worldwide effort to focus on the brutality against women and children by the Al-Qaeda terrorist network and the regime it supports in Afghanistan. I remember, uh, you know, um, First Lady Laura Bush and, and Sherry Belair and so many other of these, they used even their women to come out and, and, and seek public support for intervention in Afghanistan. And, and they used women as one of the reasons that they want to go and, and liberate Afghan women. Only the terrorist and the Taliban forbid education to women. Only the terrorists and the Taliban threaten to pull out women's fingernails for wearing nail polish. The plight of women and children in Afghanistan is a matter of deliberate human cruelty carried out by those who seek to intimidate and control. At least we were expecting something more coming from a country that is somehow branding itself as being the protector of of human rights and democracy, while it's not. Coming up, the future of democracy in Afghanistan. Carter, America went into Afghanistan with a goal in sight. How much do you think the US has actually succeeded in fulfilling that goal? 
the, the main goal was preventing attacks coming out of Afghanistan by terrorist organizations on our countries. That was by and large achieved over that time period. Did we completely eradicate um, those threats? Well, no, there is a chance they could return. But for the goal of the time, which was to keep those attacks away, that was attained. Um, now that's probably, maybe perhaps that's thin gruel um, when you look at the other things that weren't attained. We, were, we tried to enable democracy to stand up. It did stand up, but it's a pretty weak form of democracy, and it's, it's looking like it may not last too much longer. We wanted the Afghan government to be able to stand up on their own and fight the war on their own. That was not attained. But that doesn't mean there isn't hope in the future. Afghanistan had a reasonable amount of stability before 1979. Um, and history comes in different cycles and different flows. So in, in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we could see an Afghanistan as a much happier place. That would be lovely for many millions of Afghans, no doubt. Just to finish up, former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, she warned in May of the huge consequences of the withdrawal and the potential collapse of the Afghan government. She also said there was the risk that the Taliban would take control and would retake control and the risk of civil war. Do you think Biden has made the right call by completing the withdrawal this year? I guess I do think it's the right call, although I don't like to think of it in terms of right or wrong. I like to think of it in terms of what was more compelling at the time. And, you know, he had the choice of I'm going to stay in with a small number of troops and there's going to be war. And the war is going to go on and on and on as long as we're there. We're not going to be able to, to stop things from developing. And we're not going to have a chance really to negotiate a solution. Trump had, had basically torpedoed that. So he has that choice or he has the choice of leaving. And then if I put everything in the strategic view, in, in, in a, from a strategic viewpoint, the United States and the world has some other things that are concerning them now a lot more than terrorism. That age of concern about terrorism, I think, is diminishing. And nothing underlines that more than COVID and the number of losses the whole world has sustained over COVID. It takes some imagination to create a terrorist threat that could do what COVID did. And from that perspective, it's probably better for us all to be resilient and just accept that we're going to have some attacks like this. Because it might, our time might be better spent helping our own people, I don't mean to sound insular in that, but helping democracy overall rather than focusing on Afghanistan. Hodia, you've been working as a human rights activist for many years now in Afghanistan. Emotionally, how does all this impact you, going back to your home country and knowing the risks and challenges that so many women still face yeah, it, it, it is very difficult for me. Uh, even uh, like it was uh, a couple of years ago, my eldest daughter, she questioned me. She said, Mom, uh, as long as I remember, you know, like you put Afghanistan and human rights before us. You are always telling us if you are not in our birthday party because there was something important that you wanted to go and attend and, and you wanted to do something more important than our birthday. And whenever we asked you, you said that, oh, because I want to make Afghanistan a better place for, for you and, and for the new generation. But, but, you know, Afghanistan is not a better place anymore. You know, like it, 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 it is, it is getting bad. It is getting worse. It is disappointing. Like, you know, we have progress and regression. It is not easy. I have sleepless nights. There are days that I, I just think and worry and, and, and stress out about what is happening. But at the same time, I think 
there is still an opportunity. I, I believe that everything is not lost. I, I believe that we can still make a change. As long as I'm alive, I will, I, I will not give up uh, on my country and I will not give up for what I believe. That was Dr. Carter Malkation and human rights activist Huria Mossadiq. Carter's new book, The American War in Afghanistan, is out this month. In the News will be back with you on Friday. <laughs>